Hello and welcome back to the Martin Mashup podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Paul Jacobs. Paul is a managing partner at Wax on an overseas day-to-day running of the agency. Previously, he was business lead at Karmarama, working with brands such as BT and Porsche, and more recently, a director at Edelman. He also makes sure we all get enough sleep, which I really like, actually, because often at agencies, the, there is a very much work, work a lot, don't get sleep, and yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, thank you for that lovely intro. Um, yeah, great, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And yeah, the sleep bit, absolutely. Like, it's a, I read a book a couple of years ago. I think it's by uh, Matthew Walker, his name is about the science of sleep and why we dream. Mm. I wouldn't say as far as it changed my life, but it's like a fascinating read. It talks about the evolution of the brain because of sleep and the importance sleep plays, even napping. I've got a good friend of mine who naps in the afternoon. I, I called him up, I said, that's that's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's good for memory processing. It's good for memory recall, those kind of things. So it's uh, it, it might sound a bit silly, but I do encourage us to get as much sleep as we can. Um, I, I, gave, I gave a little intro there, but in your own words, it'd be great to have a whistle-stop tour of your career. Give a little introduction to Paul Jacobs, where he's been and how he's got to where you are now. Great. Yeah, well, I'll do my best at, at a whistle-stop. So... Yeah, I've been been in and around the industry for, for well over a decade now. And I I think when I left university, I, I, I suppose I was quite fortunate. In my head, I was pretty clear that I wanted to get into marketing. I did a business degree and you could sort of like narrow down your choices as you got through your degree. And I was pretty clear by the end that I was marketing was for me. I enjoyed it. But I didn't really know much about the agency side. So I was sort of defaulting towards a brand client side role because I just didn't, didn't really know the agency world. So I started out in marketing for Gala Coral which kind of includes Gala Bingo and Coral Sports Betting, uh, based out in the, in Woking. Uh, my moral compass has shifted a little bit over the years, but at the time I absolutely loved it, working in and around sport, attending events. But I think most importantly for me is I got the chance to, to experience advertising agencies. So we worked with Iris London at the time. I remember vividly going up to town into their big shiny offices. They had foosball tables, pool tables, like free drink and everything everywhere it just seemed like a really fun relaxed atmosphere certainly how people were dressed and it it just stayed with me certainly compared to the sort of gray office we had uh we had back in Woking so I think that's where my sort of love affair with the agency side kind of started I then um actually got Gala Coral then up sticks and moved to Gibraltar or Malta I can't quite remember where it was really yeah I think big big gambling companies often either have a base out there or shift themselves out there for for obvious reasons uh so yeah i took voluntary redundancy and took the chance to travel the world and then ended up staying in sydney for about a year or so had some fun and then thought right try and get a job and i was applying to both brand and agency roles even though i hadn't had any agency experience and then uh it was a bit of a struggle actually and i was just i took some shitty job at a uh, uh at the airport actually and I was about to go through what, in Sydney. In Sydney, yeah. I don't know if you know this, or I didn't. But if to work at the airport, you have to do these security exams. So I was scheduled for my exams, and I was like not really up for it, but needed the money. And then out of the blue, Ogilvy called, which I had applied for. And I was like, Christ, and that that was it. So I had a chance to go to Ogilvy. They met me, uh, a love, wonderful lady called Libby, who uh, who knew I didn't have any agency experience, but I think they were desperate. <laughs> <laughs> they had a big, they had a big account that we were losing people on, so. She gave me my chance and that was it. I was I was in Adland f- from there and I, I arguably one of the biggest agencies in the world. Uh, they were based on the North Shore of Sydney, which was beautiful. So the guy who uh, my my would-be boss at the airport wasn't best pleased that I rang him up and said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming, <laughs> I'm not coming to my exam. 
but I uh, I had the chance to work for a, an amazing advertising agency in Sydney, and that was it. And I, I remember my first day there. It was it was a Friday, because I had to go in and get my handover from someone. And they on a Friday they have free KFC and they have endless booze, and their roof terrace looks over Sydney like Sydney cityscape. And I thought this is it. I've I've I, made it. I've made it. I've, <laughs> I've absolutely made it. So yeah, I did about a year in Sydney, uh, which was great. Loved the experience. What, what was the role? Uh, so it was, I was sort of account management. Yeah. So I was sort of kind of a mid mid level suit at the time. Um, really enjoyed it. Worked with a wonderful lady called Michelle, who headed up the American Express account there. And then yeah, I had a chance to stay. They offered me sponsorship, and I was very very tempted. But I've got kind of got a small family, and I wasn't ever really escaping England because I love I love it here. So I pretty quickly decided to come back and sort of transfer to Canary Wharf, which is where Oakview used to be mm. based. Uh, the less said about the better, I think. <laughs> I'd gone from like Sydney rooftops to Canary Wharf, and you can imagine the, the difference. So. Yeah, it was a strange, strange time coming back to London. I was on Unilever working ridiculous hours and I, I must have done a few months and thought this isn't quite right. So had the chance to move to Crayon, which is where I met Mark and Matthew. And you, of course, you know Mark. Uh, those guys founded Crayon and they were, they were a sort of digital, data-driven digital sort of CRM agency. Uh, again, still working my way through account management. Uh, and that's where I met Mark and Matthew, some of my um, Waxon co-founders. That's where that relationship started. Then Crayon became Karmarama, which was a, a merger. And I, I think in total between those two businesses, I did about five or six years there, working my way through account management up to being sort of a business director. Ah, so how how old were you at this point when you joined Crayon and how how big were they? And how, how did the opportunity come about? So I was probably mid-20s at the time. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, coming back from traveling, I definitely was in a bit of a weird weird place for a few months you just had this amazing experience traveling the world and living in another country and then coming back to coming back to reality was a, was, a, was a bit of a bump you know that kind of certainly something I wasn't used to feeling having gone just through quite a linear path through education and into direct employment so but it's great and so crayon were about probably about 100 people I reckon and I was there for maybe a year 18 months before they were both bought both bought by um by a firm, uh, Kamarama and Crayon were both bought by a firm and we were smashed together. I think Kamarama were a similar size, we're both about 100 people around. Uh, but I think Kamarama had a bigger reputation than Crayon, so we ended up taking their name. And it was a, it was quite a strange time, actually. I don't know if you've ever been through a merger, but yeah. the the smashing of two different businesses together. We, we, we've, when, when I was at first base, we got acquired by the Unlimited Group. So ah, okay, it, it yeah, was. Yeah. Um, My we, wife we used were, to work for those guys, yeah, Unlimited. We were a 10 person agency taken into the 800 person group of agencies. Wow, that's a shift, isn't it? And it, it, it was it was so, so strange because when you're a 10 person agency, it's quite scrappy, it's it's just... Sleeves are rolled up and yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, it's good fun. I quite like being s- small and independent. And when you go into, because they were going through a transition to the Unlimited group and rebranding and restructuring. So we were sort of brought out brought in at a strange strange time and it's going from no process to lots of process yeah, and, lots of lines, yeah. and targets that we had here as opposed to let's just be profitable mm. um so yeah very interesting going through a it's a good learning for us yeah. i guess someone it's good that you've been through that already in like the uh, uh, early stages of, of your career for sure but yeah it was it was a strange time for about a year we had people that kind of you had two very different cultures uh that 
when the merge happened, it wasn't right for lots of people. And you sort of, you lost friends along the way. And I guess the people like Mark and Matthew would have had to sort of sit there and watch this play out really. Like it kind of, they never would have planned for it to the cultures to not fit as well as they did. But I think the future ambition had to be kind of stuck to, which was this merging of uh, digital and CRM with sort of Kamarama's above the line advertising. So, uh, but it's a very bit different, bit different business now. And yeah, I stayed for, for quite a long time and I was, very kind of I was almost consumed with BT it was one of the biggest accounts in the business and I, I led that for many years so that was kind of that kept me occupied uh, and I also met Ben at Kamarama so Ben is the uh, fourth and other founder of, of Waxon so the four of us started it and um, we also we were all together at Kamarama for um, probably a good couple of years I suppose we worked together and then Ben and I and another colleague of ours Prash uh, had a very interesting and a bit random opportunity to go to Edelman which is a kind of a global PR, American, but globally um, um, PR and comms agency. And they were making an interesting shift into kind of doing more creative and advertising. So they were hiring kind of uh, not tons, but several people from like Adland, I suppose, to try and help them shift away from their traditional PR and comms, like linear uh, offer into more advertising. So it was a really interesting time. It was uh, working in PR is very, very different. We got the clash of kind of this fast paced, uh, crazy PR machine with what kind of more advertising people are used to, which is creativity needs craft and a bit of time and a bit more investment. So it was a really interesting time, which I, some didn't like, I really enjoyed it. Um, and we were kind of helping, helping a huge business try and pivot into these new services. So really interesting. And then, yeah, that was kind of it. That's where, so Ben and I were still together at Edelman, Matthew and Mark were still together at Kamarama. And I think they were planning their next move after the um, Accenture deal. Uh, ben and I were always keen to do something ourselves. And it was kind of, we all stayed together and we had dinner often. So. We were always talking. I know that sounds obvious, but we were always talking. And I think it was a, a bit of a perfect storm, I suppose, that the four of us were, Mark and Matthew were looking for something new. Ben and I were like the kind of younger, eager ones wanting to do our own thing. And it was that perfect storm of us kind of all coming together. And then summer 2017, yeah, we all packed it in, uh, did about a six months sort of soft launch, getting our website and all the legal commercial stuff sorted. And then uh, pretty much opened our doors officially at Wax On in uh, January 2018 where uh, yeah so I'm you've kind of said it in the intro I'm a managing partner which is I guess kind of the MD role look after the kind of the day-to-day running from ops and as as a small business everything from the from the printer to the to the <laughs> to the coffee uh, to HR you name it but uh, yeah my main focus is on obviously the running of the business and and obviously new business as well which is such an important part of being a new, a new small business fascinating story Thank sorry it wasn't particularly whistle stop no but, uh, that, that that was great um when i say whistle stop it's just great to get an understanding of where you've been and what you've been doing because you've got a wealth of experience which is fascinating now what made you start wax on what what was the 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 trigger moment i guess when you were at edelman and yeah mark and matthew were were, were doing other things what what made you start wax on I guess going further back, I, I grew up in a household. My dad had his own business, so I grew up in a house where, like, that was just a norm. Like, it, my dad, had, it wasn't a big business, but he had his own business, so I was used to kind of, like, uh, him having a brand and, like, employees and him doing his own thing. And that I guess I just, that was pretty ingrained in me from an early age that that was kind of, that was the norm, and I grew up with that. But I guess I've always had a bit of a, bit of a kind of inkling that I wanted to do similar. Um, I definitely, being honest, I had moments throughout my career where you kind of like shit I'm I'm working my ass off and making money for someone else which I'm sure many go through but to varying degrees they actually act on it 
So I guess I had all those things like burning inside me. But I, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I, I think I, I I don't believe I ever would have just gone and done it on my own. If I'm being perfectly honest, like I've never said I'm like it's like this renegade entrepreneur, and I always would have gone and done something. And I had this endless like endless plans and different ideas. For me, it was this perfect storm. I was kind of getting closer and closer with Ben, and we had like great chemistry and wanted to do more together. And obviously Mark and Matthew that I was always very close with and they were kind of my bosses for many years. And now it's great that we're sort of with peers and business partners uh, who I respected them highly. So it was, a, for me, it was a perfect storm of timing that those guys were in a good place and Ben and I were in a, a place where we were ready to do something. And just that it felt, the environment felt right, the, the chemistry of the people, the skill sets. We've got a good good mix of skill sets that kind of, not that we want to kind of default into a traditional uh, model we want to try and avoid being just copying what we've seen before but we had a nice mix of skill sets that we could start delivering work from clients for, for day one so it was that yeah it was that kind of that that, that right time right moment right people uh and yeah no regrets it's been been a, been a great 18 months so far or two years really i suppose since we started it all yeah so uh, it's interesting you you mentioned about not wanting to go alone and wanting to have partners to go into it with what is your sort of perspective on on entrepreneurs and people that do want to start on their own as a side hustle? We we mentioned side hustle mm. briefly um, just before we started the podcast, as opposed to finding partners and co-founders to start a company with. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. That's our off-air chat. You're right. This this we, we've actually just been, as I told you, looking into sort of the the growth of side hustles for a pitch we're working on it. And the, the research was staggering in terms of how big it is. And I think not far off, like I think 50%, I think, of a certain age demographic in the States, this research was, have got have got a side hustle. So but I'd say that's slightly different to where my head was at in terms of I never really I never really had a side hustle. It never came naturally to me. It was always, I guess, I was on a quite a, a linear path. But yeah, I, I never thought I needed partners to make my business happen. It was just that, that window in my life where it was like, the conversation started evolving quite slowly and it just just felt absolutely right my wife works in the industry we actually met through work so i'm very fortunate that she like she gets it so the conversation of should i should i should i go for this should i kind of put put a few personal things on hold and and, and have a go at this and that was the quickest yes i've ever heard so i'm incredibly grateful that i've, I've got that support and and she gets gets how it works um, which i think is re really really important so yeah i i, I don't think being honest, I never really had a side hustle or never sort of sat on my own thinking, this is what I want to do. I, I, I just had these sort of like kind of these, these things inside me that I never really addressed. It was just like, this is this is right. So when those sort of conversations started happening, I was able to like address those kind of my inner voice and be like, OK, right. Yeah, this is right. This is what you actually want to do. And, and now it feels, I suppose, feels safe, feels the right, like, right level, of, right level of safety to go and do it. You know, that's what I mean. I'm never, never would describe myself as like a, a huge risk taker. Well, obviously, I'm a risk taker because that's, that's why I'm here with my own business. But um, I guess I, I reached a level of kind of comfort that it was like, okay, this is this is right, and like, I believe it will work. That's the most important thing. It wasn't, and this never, this never felt like a punt. There's a risk to it, of course, but with the people I'm, I've, I've started the business with, with with our with what Waxon stands for, we want to achieve. Uh, I fully believe it would be a big success. How quickly that happens is. Uh, is uh, is an, is another thing, but I, I fully believe it will work. And that kind of said that that comfort and excitement was really what kicked it off. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say about the risk actually and the risk element of going and starting your own company or your own agency. 
because you, you get the famous entrepreneurs, your Gary Vee, your Stephen Bartlett, saying you just got to start. You just got to start. You just got to quit your job and start your company. When in reality, it's not quite as black and white as that because you need to have some sort of some money to fall back on six to 12 months of runway yeah. i was speaking to you know, on the last episode of the podcast um a guy that started his own software company and he sold it and he's done very very well from it but he said no one starts their own company without mitigating the risk he said i could i had a job at mckenzie and i knew i could go back there if if ever i needed to that 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 was a risk mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about what Waxon do. Uh, you've mentioned Mark, Matthew, yeah, Ben. Of course, yeah. What's the setup? What do you do? And how do your skills complement each other? Yeah, of course. I will just jump back on the last point, though. You're right. It's like, like take like extreme sports all the way to other stuff. You've got everyone's got different attitudes to risk. And like a good friend of mine, he's a financial advisor, and he says two two things when you're thinking about investments. It's like one is your attitude to, attitude to risk, and two is how long you're in it for. And it's those things. I'll probably add a third, which is your self belief when it comes to like your own business versus investments. But those are all the factors. And you are you're right. You think about these like Gary V's or Elon Musk's. Those their attitude to risk is obviously like super low, and they just they just go for it. But it's too easy for entrepreneurs just to like tell success stories, and we'll get onto kind of podcast where you hear about entrepreneurs and it it does sound quite easy right they're just like yeah yeah i went for it and it worked you're like okay great i I prefer the ones that have failed or were kind of were were kind of challenged by the risk inside themselves so i think it's important that people know about other other ways and win and and you kind of you as you said you mitigate their risk and you kind of multiply that by your self-belief and what comes out of that should be your kind of your comfort spot to make it happen so um wax on i guess to give a bit of spiel we sort of describe ourselves as a, a kind of a new type of creative agency in that we've um we're bringing creative and media back together kind of how they used to be so we are a creative agency but we're kind of obsessed with where an idea is going to end up we we've structured ourselves and that we partner with media agencies we're actually sat within one um and it's how the industry used to be like decades and decades ago creative and media were together they were kind of before sorrel and a few others like him decided to split creative and media agencies mainly for kind of commercial benefit, which which did actually work for them from a commercial perspective. But for us, we've seen we've been in too many creative agencies where where an idea is going to end up or what the actual distribution of it is, is in complete isolation from the idea itself. So we've set up a kind of philosophy and a model where we will only kind of develop creative and bring up, come up with ideas when we know where it's going to be experienced, it's going to be touched. So we're a creative agency obsessed with distribution and we're kind of inspired by how it used to work. Um, we're giving it a bit of a modern touch for the modern day uh, in terms of skill sets yeah so we're pretty agnostic to what we make as I said we are a creative agency but we never set out to have like a, a philosophical view about what we make or we're a TV agency because our model is about this upfront thinking is like what's the best idea what's the best distribution for it and the idea kind of drops out of that so in our short life we've made everything from kind of uh, inserts that go into newspapers to digital uh, banners to social all the way up to several TV spots so I know for some it's kind of it, they would feel more comfortable with a speciality or being known for a certain thing but we want to be known for our model which is you come to us because you get creative and distribution those those two for us absolutely have, have to be together like why well, as, a, as, a, as a kind of as an account management person I was often sat in the middle of like you go and pitch your creative idea and you know the client was walking across town to go and get his media plan on an Excel document and those two just hadn't even been aligned. So how on earth can you have an idea that doesn't even know where it's going to end up? So in a nutshell, that's kind of what we're trying to kick against and uh, try and avoid any particular agendas. Definitely. And how? what's the dynamic between the 
the, the four co-founders, am I right there? Yeah, that's what, right. What, what's the dynamic there and how do your skill sets complement each other? So Matthew always has been a slightly more kind of um, advisory role. Uh, he's had other business interests, uh, but he's great. He's got huge experience around like legal, commercial and op. So he's a good kind of, we call him our, our work dad. <laughs> 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 but he's always there for us, especially me in my sort of capacity. He's, he's, he's there for me and he's been he's great for, for the guidance of the business, which is good. Um, but then we are actually with sort of the, the the other three of us are the traditional kind of triangle. So I'm I'm a suit by trade. Uh, ben is is creative, but he's not a traditional creative. He spent many many years at Red Bull, and they became the kind of the this media content powerhouse that they are. Um, so he's a creative, but with it with not the sort of traditional kind of come from a team and gone through that sort of background, which which we like. And Mark is a vastly experienced uh, planner across kind of both data. CRM brand uh, and he, he's great for us and we the planning is, a, is the area where we bleed most into the media side of things so comms planning is, is vital for what we do in terms of that distribution so there's a real seamless bit there uh, and our other main employee is uh, is the lovely Karen who used to work with us at Karma Armour as well and uh, and she she works under me from a more client client service perspective looking after all of our clients uh, which, which is great and she's got a, a huge range of skills from kind of again because of our output it's very varied so it's important that we have sort of integrated account handlers that, that can manage that uh, and also when you're new everyone you hire and bring in cultural is so important you know you're a small team you live in each other's pockets so those hires are really important but yeah at any one time we're between kind of five and 15 we've got designers and guys that help with video editing uh, artwork other creatives so we are we're small and nimble, but we flex. We flex to the project. So depending, depending what we've got on, we'll we'll have different skill sets coming in, which is which is important to us. We've got a core team that will probably sit between the kind of five and ten mark, uh, and then we build up from that when we've got certain projects. I like that a lot. Um, how did you go about getting those first clients? Obviously, you've all been in the industry for for a while. You've got a good network, good amount of connections. Yeah, so we kind of we never really had like a founding client, which are if I was to if I had, well, for anyone listening to this, I would I would definitely recommend do what you can to have a founding client. We had I suppose in inverted commas founding clients. So we did a partnership with uh, they're now called the Kite Factory. They were MCNC Media beforehand. So we did a partnership then. So we sort of were based in their offices and we 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 pitch together when we can. So we can sort of genuinely deliver with our offer but we do work with other media agencies just as they work with other creative agencies but to truly deliver on, deliver on our creative media like philosophy we had to sit with people that look after that sort of thing so that's why we're here and they had a, a quite a significant bank of clients who all kind of well not all but we did we audited those and had a kind of short list of maybe half a dozen that knew there was creative opportunities there that we went in and sort of sold ourselves to so uh, I wouldn't call it a founding client uh, by definition but we had those opportunities where we went in and picked up projects here and there through through our media partnership so that's been good for us and yeah you know what it's been pretty there's been no trend about how we picked up business certainly in our first year we had a lot of kind of which is very flattering but people that know us from our past have been like amazing like great i'm really really proud of you guys doing your own thing like i've got a couple of projects let's talk which is great because then you know it's kind of you don't have to do any kind of song and dance about who you are there's that level of trust which is good equally in the similar vein you get word of mouth through those similar people uh, and yeah, it's been a lot of stuff. We sort of uh, we got to about a year and sort of matured a little bit into investing into sort of intermediaries and other sort of other places in which you would find briefs in a more formal manner. So we've, we've signed up to a few of those uh, as the sort of money allowed. Uh, but yeah, it is, I would describe it as pretty organic, pretty organic. People we know or word of mouth that are like, these guys are interesting. Um, and certainly for a, 
I don't even think it's the size of business. You've got a, a you, we get a real sweet spot of people that have got a, a certain philosophy around. They agree with what we stand for, which is I don't I don't have the time or the money or the the inkling to go to two separate agencies to get my creative and media. I've, I've I have a budget. I have objectives. Uh, I just want to say this is what I want to achieve and get that kind of distribution and idea back together. So we've had a real sweet spot with that. It isn't right for everyone. Uh, the industry still is separated and, and will be for some time, but uh, we are seeing more and more, certainly those sort of maybe slightly younger businesses that are maybe a smaller team and it makes sense for them to, to come to us and, and have a kind of, I hate the phrase one-stop shop because it's uh, it's pretty pretty shit phrase, but it is coming <laughs> coming to a place and, and get, getting all you need and in a kind of effective and efficient way. And we do actually believe not just a cap, but it's more cost-effective. But we do believe the work is better. Like we can have we can have an idea, walk across the corridor and be like, speak to the comms planners and be like, is this going to work? Where do you think it would end up? Which is what John Hackett used to do. He's, he used to all famously say that as soon as he had like an acorn of an idea, he'd run downstairs to the media guys and start talking about distribution, where it's going to end up. So that's exactly what we're doing here. Definitely. Sounds good. And before the podcast um, and also throughout um, our, our little chat, we've been mentioning startups and entrepreneurship. It's something we're, we're both quite interested in and passionate about. What makes you so interested in, in entrepreneurship? Yeah, well, for me, it's uh, certainly now I'm, I'm in that position. It's, it's a, a, a definitely been a more of a realization that like startups for me are the lifeblood of like innovation in our industry. You've got so many of the networks that are huge and are kind of just consuming like other businesses. And like we talked about, you, these mergers are happening and swallowing up cultures. So my philosophy is that startups are kind of they are the, they are the future. They are the ones that have got the opportunity to shape the industry. Like the, the the creaking bigger agencies will struggle to, to to kind of pivot or change. So it's up to us as the smaller entrepreneurs that have sort of lived through it, seen the good and the bad to try and make a difference. Like I guess like any, like a good creative idea, it needs refinement and our industry is no different. So we're kind of, and it's for us, our, us entrepreneurs to, to try and do that. So very passionate about that. I've, I've, um, which I, we've talked to you about before, I've, I've created a, a sort of a mini network for entrepreneurs and startups uh, with the support of the Drum Network. So we were in conversation with the Drum and people like that in terms of when we were thinking about broadening our horizons and where we should invest our money to get kind of Waxon's name out there. And I learned more about the Drum Network and they've got these sort of, they've got these communities around new business, commercial talent that were more for kind of, I guess, slightly more established businesses, more grown up businesses. And there seemed to be a, a gap, I thought, completely a gap for like, for entrepreneurs to come and have like kind of peer to peer, most importantly, non-judgmental like support and advice, because it is, it's tough. You go from a, owning a, a business, a young business, you go from like kind of this is the most amazing thing in the world to shit. This is, this is tough. And my kind of, my, my personal life is, is somewhat on the line. So it can be very scary and that can all happen within a matter of hours. So I was really think I, I thought to myself, this is, it's amazing. That doesn't really exist on a, a decent scale. So with the drum network, uh, I've created this thing, which is a, a startup community. We have, um, every two months we have free breakfast sessions where, if you're between one and three years, we encourage you to come along. Some are, most are uh, drum members, but not everyone. And it is, it's, it's, it's a chance to network. It's, it's very therapeutic. It certainly is for me. A good chance to talk about the good and the bad. And I find inspiration in both, if I'm honest, you know, like hearing things that didn't work. You're like, one, that's reassuring because it's, it's tough for everyone. Um, and you can be inspired by where people did or didn't get it right. 
Um, and the aim is that we can kind of, yeah, build this, build it in scale, uh, but just know that we've got a group of people that pick up the phone. I've already, even outside of these sort of like formal breakfast sessions we have every two months, I'm on the phone regularly to guys, just want to have a chat and how did you do this? How did you do that? And we're we're fortunate there's quite a diverse range of, of agencies within it so we're not all we're not all creative agencies competing with each other so it doesn't feel like too awkward to share stories and stuff everyone's like a mixture of social design production so yeah i'm very proud of it i kind of it kind of just came came up came to you very quickly and with the support of the drum network it, it, it's been quite straightforward in terms of the logistics and infrastructure and it is it's we're only we're only like half a year into it so i don't know where it will go um but i think as i said it's, it's very important that uh, entrepreneurs have at least sort of that that kind of peer-to-peer network as we as we grow and and hopefully it will lead to some sort of opportunity for working together or finding clients because my ultimate ambition is that we can create events where brands that are on the other side so brands with budgets would be like if you position the question to them would you be interested in seeing a group of like exciting new london startups i would hope the answer is yes and we exist we are we're all hanging out so hopefully I can create an event which I'd like to run at the end of the year where we kind of all get together and it's not particularly salesy, but it's a chance for both sides to meet brand and agency sides. The brand side of thing doesn't have to be uh, similar age businesses. I'm sure there's much more older businesses that are interested in in startups, but a chance for us to, to show off because it, it is tricky. It's very competitive, so it's tricky to get our names out there. So that's uh, that's something I'm very proud of very very good overview you are you're answering all my questions as you're going which which was brilliant in terms of your aims and ambitions for it is it is it just for agencies or you it is it is very much yeah as i said hopefully we'll get we'll get kind of a twice a year we'll get a chance to kind of network with brands uh, because i think there'll be a lot of a lot of synergy and opportunities and and hopefully yeah like matter of factly I have new business opportunities for people to, to meet brands that would like to like to work with us so uh, but yeah it's just for agencies um for the drum network it's a kind of it's it's mainly for members but it's a it's an opportunity for them because most people in their early lives are probably looking like we were to sign up to these kind of things so it's a good good sales tool for them so that's handy there's a mutual benefit for lots of people which is why we've got their support in terms of a bit of money to help kind of set up locations and food and all that kind of stuff so uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and um, yeah, watch this space, I suppose. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to thank you to, yeah. to all of this. Um, m- moving on a little bit to startups and entrepreneurs in general, are there any any entrepreneurs, founders that you you look at um, for inspiration that you admire? First one that always springs to mind is, is Dave Bonaguidi, a good friend of the agency, and we all, having all worked at Karmarama, which was Dave Dave Dave's business, uh, we had the chance to get to know Dave, work under him, and his kind of his uh, yeah his proper heart on the sleeve, no nonsense way he goes about his life and business. I've always always enjoyed, uh, been inspired by, and we've sort of stayed in touch over over the last couple of years while he's done his own things. And yeah, he's been on the podcast a couple of times, which 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 we've, we've talked about off air. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I love the way he goes about business. I think uh, I love the way he goes about life. I think it's pretty rare. Certainly us Brits, we're quite kind of like often bury like what's really going on in our heads and don't quite speak what we're saying. But Dave's one of those few that I've ever come across in a professional environment where he's like zero fucks and he will say what he wants, which sometimes sometimes rubs people up the wrong way. But like you have to respect uh, that honesty and the ability to do that which especially in a professional environment is, is, is challenging and quite rare. 
uh, yeah, I think he's incredibly talented and very, and very funny. So it's always, always enjoyable. And, and yeah, I think what he did at St. Luke's at the start when he kind of gave equity to everyone. And if you listen to Dave talk, he's always, he has his regrets and it didn't work out how he wanted it to, but that kind of democratization of, of equity and I uh, thought was fascinating kind of like for me sort of pioneered, I suppose, in one respect, not, not to make it too lofty, but he sort of pioneered a, a change in kind of where power sat within an agency. And whilst it didn't necessarily work for him, it kind of, it was starting to kick against the kind of white men in suits up in the offices that just held all the power and you worked your asses off for, for, for nothing. So that was always a good one for me. Um, and one I've, I've, I've kind of learned through my wife actually is a guy called James Connolly, uh, who's the founder of Fetch, the mobile marketing agency. And so, yeah, he's recently sold to Dentsu. My wife works within that group and she she's met James and listened to him speak and I've listened to him speak uh, a few times. And yeah, just a, again, he's similar age to me and so very inspiring story that kind of not not really a formal education, but just kind of he tried and failed and, and made a huge success of the business and it, and it is a real huge success. I think it's like of 35 million revenue in five years which is which is hugely impressive given given the kind of the way the world moves at the moment what what are the traits of a good entrepreneur in, in your eyes then uh self-belief is probably one of the most important ones for me and um i think uh ben and i are both certainly us kind of similar age and similar backgrounds and we're kind of we're the we're the younger ones should we say uh of the of the founding founding partners and and also for ben and i we've got like we we're very open and honest with each other. I think in a time where mental well-being, thankfully, is being much more talked about and kind of it's a it's a more of a thing that people are acknowledging and addressing. So it is. It's very challenging running your own business, and you go from highs and lows pretty quickly, and uh, and things come out of nowhere. Whereas like in direct employment, it's pretty linear. You know what you're getting. Whereas your own business it comes with many many more challenges. So being able to share and being open again, that's probably part of the DNA I've got in this. Uh, uh, startup community with the with the drum network um so that's a key part of it sharing and being and talking so ben and i have a regular kind of how you doing you know because things might be going really well but we might not feel great so that's really important so a good self-belief because you've got to back yourself to the hill even when your back's against the wall and it, it looks a bit shit you've got to believe in what you're doing so self-belief is huge um being open and honest and, and talking to your partners about how you're feeling which uh which is probably not a, a normal thing few years back but it, it is now thankfully and should remain in terms of how are you doing and talking about your feelings for me you can probably get from where i'm talking is 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 being smart around your risks you know so not just maybe mitigating risks but making kind of good judgments about where you invest and timing of investments money time all those kind of things um so being smart about where where, where you go but we're I'm fortunate, I think, in a lot of respects and that you've got with Mark and Matthew and Ben and I, you've got a great combination of sort of, of of age groups and experience versus kind of energy and that, that not to say that we don't all hold each parts of those anyway, but it's a nice combination. I'm very fortunate to, to have the setup that we have in terms of Ben and I kind of with the the young and the eager guys that are a bit, bit wet behind the ears and learning as we go and Mark and Matthew are the kind of wise old heads but they're still <laughs> still very much uh still very much actively involved in driving us forward definitely and i, I think some of those traits you mentioned about the self-belief um all of them sort of tie back to having good people around you yeah and having yeah. That, that i think that's why your community is so useful because you, you do need that network of people that you can reach out to ask questions be open about your feelings and how things are going yeah get I, advice it's crazy I, I, it's obviously how we're wired but there is like 
if things are a bit shit uh, or you're feeling a bit shit personally, to go and hear someone else is, is going through something similar, you just immediately feel better for it. Not because you want them, you know, not because you're in any way pleased that they're suffering, but like that's that's how I guess we're biologically wired and have been for millennia, which is so so important for for just kind of getting some clarity or or getting some perspective or not worrying about it might be something minor, but you're carrying it just to go and talk to someone, whether it's a partner or like I said, a peer, another agency, which is why I'm so pleased that even outside of what are these these community breakfasts we have, I'm on the phone quite regularly to other people just to say what you're up to, how you're getting on, how did you tackle that problem? And you do, you just feel better, which is really important. Like people people take things too seriously sometimes. It's important that you put like who you are as a person first and think, yeah, yeah, good to have a chat, nice to nice to uh nice to see how they're getting on good and bad uh, and you often feel a lot better for it absolutely um w- with social media the way it is at the moment uh ev- everyone puts out the best version of themselves and the successes but not often the failures and oh god yeah yeah just don't bother just don't bother <laughs> i've come off quite a lot of social media which is which on one hand is like crazy because you're kind of you're, you're in a business where digital marketing is a key part a huge part of it but yeah things like facebook i'm not sure in my own opinion that are a good thing and most people are posting, I mean, take take like celebs and influence out of it. Most people are posting when they're doing like fun stuff, which is which is fair enough, like holidays or whatever. But if you're like, if you're not in a great place and you're just sat at your desk going through holiday snaps after holiday snaps, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is a test. And it's just, we're just, we're just bombarded now. If it was like a real, if you literally just had like your real close friends, it'd be great because you get to see how they're getting on. But none of us really do. You have outer friends and people you kind of used to know. And it is, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous place. We could have a whole, we could have a whole podcast well, on that, uh, couldn't we? But well, we definitely could. My, my opinion is my mental health is, is a lot better for just kind of just uh, seeing my friends and having beers or going to play golf uh, and just enjoying human interactions. Agreed. Agreed. 100%. (laughs) Let's move on a little bit to a new medium that, well, not a new medium, but a medium that has been in the ascendancy for for, for the last couple of years, which is podcasting. Mm. Um, We're we're on a podcast now, which is is very meta. And (laughs) uh, you and the Wax On guys have one of my favorite podcasts wax lyrical it's you... very kind of you to say it why do you like podcasts so much i think i'd probably say serial was when i first got into podcasting and it was kind of that was more i suppose for the story than anything else and it was just kind of it just happened to be in in audio form um that's probably how i ended up and i guess as humans we love stories which is probably a huge part of podcasting success and and that's kind of how i ended up getting into it and then just the huge diversity of it i, I think the, the low barrier to entry from both sides. So it's uh, as we're proving, it's very easy to create one uh, if you've got the right ingredients. Um, so there's a low barrier to, to creating one and putting it out there. And then in terms of listening, it's like, it's easy to do. It's, you just download and, and play. There's no subscription really. It's not really a paid for service. I think those low barriers, both sides are a huge part of why it's successful. And I think, and also this, we've created a new way of like uh, kind of consuming content whether it's on a commute or whatever, but people were, I guess, listening to music and stuff like that. But you've now got this, whether it's, I, I don't know, it's like modern multitasking. You can kind of be immersed in a story and doing the hoovering, but you're kind of this, your brain's in a whole different place compared to just music, I think, which is obviously caught caught us on in terms of how we're wired. You know, this amazing storytelling or engaging content, but you can still be doing other stuff, which you wouldn't be able to get with like a TV or, or some, something like that. 
Uh, but yeah, no, thank you for your words. I write back at you. Like, uh, I love people like you that are like doing their own thing and getting out there. And uh, as you proved this morning, it's, you've you've pulled this out of a backpack, which is <laughs> which is which is pretty impressive. Uh, Mark's the kind of the real technical guy behind ours, and his 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 mixing soundboard is is a bit bigger than yours. So I think we probably have to have a suitcase if we were we went on the road. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, when we started doing our own one. I was I, at first, I was pretty nervous. I was like, yeah, "Is this is this uh, am I going to be any good?" All that, all those things come in your head. But a big part of it is preparation. You know, like we we prepare a bit like me and you have. You know, like, I was going to say yeah. you are the most prepared guest I've ever had. In front of you, you've got two full sheets of A4. You're not supposed, to, you're the, not supposed to say that. With, with, with the notes. <laughs> well, it's just the the preparation you've you've put into this, and you, you don't realise the amount of preparation that goes into what is lyrical as well. I, I'm talking about how much of a great podcast it is and how much I enjoy it. It's because of the effort you put in beforehand, and you have your insights ready to. Absolutely, we we literally we're in a we're in a, I guess we're in an editorial mindset throughout the whole. So we do it every two weeks. So over that two week period, we're just co- collecting stories, and then we'll have a proper editorial meeting about two days beforehand and go through it. So nothing particularly formal, but it's, it is preparation. And as you said, like I'm self aware enough to know that I can't just reel off a load of like a load of interesting facts and figures and and not necessarily just opinions, but thoughts about stuff just out of the blue. I, I, I think preparation is, is a huge part of a successful podcast and it makes it in, ensures that you can have a natural conversation like we are because you you know the topic, you know what you want to talk about and you can then just have a, a proper chat which is a huge part of why Wax Lyrical is how it is because we prepare and then we just allow our sort of, I guess, uh, as you kindly said, our chemistry just to play out as we debate and rant and rave about all things that are going on in the world. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and I, I just echo what what you what you said earlier about why podcasting is such a good medium. It, it's a passive medium. It's a mm. it's it is something you can listen to or consume while you're doing something else. I think for uh, from a marketing perspective and using podcasting as a marketing format, it's such a great way to engage with people because you have their attention for 30 minutes 40 minutes an hour in joe rogan's case multiple hours yeah yeah um <laughs> and it's it's the opportunity to build a relationship with your potential customers mm-hmm. with your current customers and that is really really powerful because I, I can come in and speak to you having listened to 10 episodes of your podcast thinking i know you a little bit more <laughs> i have more of a relationship it's the same thing with um Aaron from the the goat agency they do a daily vlog which is a huge huge investment but it's paying dividends for them because they're they get to build the relationship with people and I think podcasting does that with with such a low barrier to entry it is and that's exactly why we started it really we're two twofold really one was we're a creative agency and by nature we like to make stuff so yeah, whilst we we love making stuff for clients, we always wanted to make our own thing, and and that's why where Wax Lyrical was born. We wanted to have something to make and do, and and that's it. Our podcast, and the second, as you were touching on, is it gives us a chance to get our name out there. It's been good, and we we talked off air about the the power of the pod, and it has. It's been it's been great for us, and more and more people want to come on it, and it's we're very very honoured and proud, and and that's that's good for us, and we've. We never really set out to have like we have to have guests, but I think we're we're sort of changing how we we see that because because people want to come on and we've got a chance to have interesting people come on and and 
break up the uh, break up the norm as much as uh, as much as you enjoy it <laughs> very kindly of you but good chance to break up the norm and, and have some interesting guests yeah and i, I think the, the way you do it as a mix of guests and just you two or you three is it's a really good way of doing it because often podcasts are linear like this for instance is always a conversation with a guest it's always an interview yeah. whereas you you mix it up a little bit and and i like that a mix of guests and 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 yourself and your co-founders what made you choose that format as opposed to just an interview show or i think credit to mark really he's 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 had many jobs one of which was was in journalism and in radio so he's got a good kind of good stock in terms of how, what what formats work and we we wanted it to be simple we always wanted it to be half an hour so it's kind of very snackable during a commute and i think that's how most people do consume it but yeah, we wanted to have kind of a couple of clear structures. So one was was kind of topical. So what's the latest news, uh, stories that are interesting. And the second part really is is reviewing work. You know, we're all like kind of consuming ads, whether it's on TV or radio and gives us a chance to say, say that's great, that's crap, or that's interesting, could have done better. So it is, it's kind of our, our opinions, a lot of, uh, lot of, <laughs> a lot of conjecture with not much fact checking, but we, we, we embrace that. And uh, and yeah, and the guests. So the the kind of the other formats would be guests, and then whenever we actually have like a physical event, which is where I first met you a few weeks ago, we'll often record from that, whether it's a panel chat or a live pod, and we'll try and have what we call like our unplug sessions, where we're not so much in a studio, but we've got some interesting audio that's a bit different. So yeah, we've over the last few months, especially, we've got quite a mixture, but we're. Uh, we haven't actually sat down as a three for a while, so I'm quite looking forward to uh, getting getting back in the room together. Definitely. And how, how are you looking to grow the podcast? Because it's not as it's not as natural to be able to grow a podcast as you would uh, a social media channel, or because it's completely owned. It's like a blog. It's, it's hosted on an RSS feed. How do you grow? a podcast now you're looking to do that wax yeah. lyrical so i mean guess is a big part of that so we've 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 dipped our toe in the water and we will uh, build that i think we want to get more uh, interesting stories from a brand side you know that kind of our prospective clients would be more interested in hearing stories not just from our agency chums but from a brand perspective and that by 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 nature will kind of broaden broaden our reach because those people will then hopefully share it on their channels and they'll have their own networks that want to listen to it so that's a big part of it and we have looked about kind of whether we think about um a s potentially some sort of paid advertising on a very very small scale um but using things like linkedin to just trial a kind of few promoted posts and try to get it out there mainly because we have we've received such good feedback um we're enjoying it and we want like more people to listen to it so it's yeah it's we're we're not we're not looking to go stratospheric or or get away from why we started it but yeah we're, we're definitely open to sort of trying ways and growing our listenership but at the moment every time we put a new one out we do get more every time so it's it is growing naturally but uh, hopefully we can keep 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 that momentum going yeah you, you you've got the right ingredients and focused on the right things first which is the content the production and then look at the, the distribution and how you can start to raise the profile what sort of podcasts do you listen to personally and why why are they why are they effective what makes them so good yeah it's a quite a mixture really and as i said i probably first got into podcasts with cereal and i think that that was probably a word of mouth thing a friend or my wife was like this is amazing and that was largely because of the story and I've listened to a few, like S Town, for example, where you've been, you know, it's a, a great story, and and so that's my first sort of 
love of podcasts was was immersive stories uh, and then i sort of learned that there's <laughs> a lot of others um i then moved into probably like how i built this i listened to a lot again there's a around about the time like sort of thinking about starting wax on i was naturally looking for inspiration and entrepreneurial stories and uh, I, I i think it's a great podcast uh joe rogan i don't know anyone that hasn't really listened to a joe rogan i'm not like it's not really for because of him it's i largely dip in and out based on guests for example like when brian cox did one i'm quite a fan of astrology and all that kind of stuff i think what joe rogan gets out of his guests is, is what makes it is what makes it so good it's mm. the it's the profile of the guests obviously elon musk's podcast with him blew up but it's what joe rogan he sits down for a, a very long podcast and asks pressing questions with his with his guests with these high profile guests which which makes it so good yeah you're absolutely and like i said I've, I've dipped in and out based on based on who's on there and, and also for him i think because he's He's done quite well at building his the the visual side of it as well because obviously he records it and I, I definitely feel aware of whether it's through paid promotion. I feel aware of his his the video clips of the of the podcast as much as I do through the podcast app. Uh, and then yeah, the more sort of my personal life is I quite a few football podcasts. Um, so like the Guardian Football Weekly sometimes certainly during the football season. Uh, and I actually listened to the Peter Crouch podcast. I was on honeymoon recently and, and that sort of passed the time. Very, very enjoyable. I think that's done amazingly well. Uh, oh, I think you said you listened to it as well, right? Oh, I love I love the <laughs> Peter Crouch podcast and a lot a lot of people I I know in football all listen to the Peter Crouch podcast. Um I, I think it's a mix of having someone pretty high profile to start with, but the chemistry between the three co-hosts, um, the stories, I mean, it, it's the stories that he comes out with, the banter between them. Um, it is, and I, I think, I, when I describe it to friends, I think he's just sort of, he's had the perfect length career because he's sort of, he spanned across, like, as he says in his own words, when it was just like, you finish a game and it's just like, everyone's getting pissed and beers on the, on the coach, or like, you finish training and all went to the pub and got pissed. And now it's like, absolutely ultra professional there's like a sushi chef on their bus and it's like so he's been through like what you describe as like inverted commas the old school game to now like the the very very modern money driven game so he's in that perfect place as well as being a kind of very funny guy with some great stories i, I think we'll, we'll round off talking about some of your favorite campaigns you've worked on okay some great, of yeah. some of the uh, the favorite campaigns just just in general you, you've been in the industry for quite a while you've worked on quite a lot and you've seen quite a lot so talk me through some of your some of your favorites yeah well i said we, i said on the on wax lyrical we love to talk about work mainly like recent work but yeah i haven't i haven't talked about my work for a while but i'll, I'll pick a few from i guess from from different agencies i've been at so Karma my most enjoyable work was probably on porsche or porsche i think is the correct way of saying it but i never do um so yeah we were fortunate to work with those those guys launching uh, several cars over a couple of years uh one of their cars was uh the cayman which is sort of the boxster with a with a roof i suppose best to describe it and that was actually the reason it was interesting it was the first time we'd ever launched or the first time i think they'd ever launched a car with just digital channels only porsche had been um doing the same old press ad for 50 years uh, but i think the Again, this is all pretty lightweight strategy, but the target audience was very much a digital savvy person, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was great. It was a it was a huge, huge moment for them not to go down their traditional channels of like billboards and press ads. And we launched it digital only. We actually created games, which was the, f the first time I've ever done it 
and since really we created like these three games that were all around the car was all about balance really so it was the power of balance we created these games which is i loved like a, as a i guess a lightweight gamer it was fascinating to go and see it was kind of around the time where mobile games were really exploding so that was kind of what inspired us to kind of knowing this was a digital savvy uh consumer to make a digital experience which is driven by games and the games all linked back to the cars balance and stuff so that was a lot of fun and uh, an interesting sell to get that through Stuttgart, their their head office, in terms of uh, in terms of not not going down the traditional routes, but it, it works. But it's it's tricky. To, it it did work, but I will be honest and say that Porsche don't really struggle to sell their cars. They're such a huge fan base. You sort of the marketing is much more around oh, there's a new car out versus what about the car? It's just like okay, the, there's the new car. I'll, I'll go and get it. Uh, so that was Karmarama. I mean, um, more recently. You mentioned at the start I worked on A6. That was probably my biggest, probably biggest task at uh, Edelman and was fascinating. It was probably, I would describe it as like a uh, an advertising project, but had a huge element of PR. It was the, probably the only thing I did at Edelman where it was like the proper fusion of both worlds. You had big media spend, you had film, you had advertising, like outdoor advertising, but then you had these amazing experiences. Uh, it was all around. So it was launching one of their new trainers. We came up with a new kind of around, uh, I mean, their their philosophy is a sound mind and a sound body. So we wanted to kind of help turn around the World Athletics Championships a few years ago. We wanted to turn London into kind of like a, a gym, really, or a playground that people could go and exercise and, and kind of kick against the, the stresses and the commute of their daily lives. But yeah, it was just the scale of it. It was uh, to have like PR and experiential, like to see the machine of journalists and, and how that, that bit worked, which I was fascinated by and, and was still learning from. And then to have what I knew more traditionally, which was like filmic and, and paid advertising to see those come together. And actually that was a big part of like the Waxon's DNA, seeing the fusion of what it meant to kind of not have paid activity and, and having to work hard with journalists and try and earn people's attention and do something cool that would get in the back pages or the, whatever part of the part of the part of the column inches and then fuse that with like pay distribution was kind of like a huge part of what we did at wax on in terms of having those two i guess ways of working or philosophies coming together and then I suppose I'll do one for for wax on uh, why not um, one you know well because of the because of your day job so uh, we did a TV spot for British Heart Foundation. They've got their uh, Give Up Chocolate for a Month uh, fundraising initiative called Dechox. Um, we won that opportunity to do their new TV spot, which went out on Boxing Day when everyone was sort of especially guilty about how much chocolate they'd had. And it was kind of our, the concept was if you're going to give up chocolate for a month, where does it go? Um, we had an idea that it goes on holiday. So we had a really cute animation, which was very funny. We were very, very pleased with it. It did really well. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> randomly, which we didn't realize until we spoke earlier, but yeah, we, your company, System One, um, which reviews ads, rated us one of the highest adverts over Christmas. So we were very, uh, very, very uh, pleased with that. So, And then some of your favorite, more recent campaigns you haven't worked on? Yeah, so uh, we spoke about this and uh, we've talked about it on Wax Lyric as well. The first one that comes to mind in like recent months is the, is the Walker's Crisps <laughs> and Spice Girls. I can see you laughing. Yeah. That's, exactly what, that's exactly what happened to me. I, I can't remember a, a TV ad in the last years where I was like properly entertained, like laughing. Uh, the acting was good, even from the Spice Girls. Uh, just there was, the writing was incredible. Like you just kept like, I guess as a comedian, I'm not, I'm not kidding, but a comedian would say it's quite layered. So you kind of, it keeps hitting you with different things all the way up until the end. So credit to them. And uh, yeah, for me, uh, which we've talked about before, James, like 
Uh, my favorite ads are ones that either one that they entertain. So you like, I mean, I I grew up kind of mainly throughout the 90s where like TV ads were actually pretty better than some of the content you were watching. So you kind of would be entertained by these amazing big adverts like Tango. So I love ads that entertain and also ones that can transcend like their uh, their current medium. So the ones that pick up like proper news coverage like the like the walkers one so that was good fun um i met you at the subscriptions event recently so our partners quite fact you did a, a event around subscriptions which was really interesting and we were looking around ads around that so one that's very top of mind is the dollar shave club um ad that they did i mean hard to really call it an ad i actually looked into it and they spent four and a half thousand dollars four and a half thousand yeah they did it in a day and then i think they had like god knows several million views in a couple of days so it's like one of the the best examples of virality you've like ever seen i think the founder again this is from my reading the founder was like a he'd been to drama school was a comedian so that was a, a big part of his like his, his delivery but yeah fair 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 play and it always stands out as i think it's christ probably about eight years old now but it always stands out as it like, does and it, it just shows how how creativity can cut through um with with the budget four and a half k budget to create something that's funny amusing and many years later is still in our minds as as an ad everyone i want an ad like the dollar shave club ad that's the problem we we do get briefs like that and it's it's tricky it's kind of the the brief might not say virality but it's pretty much what they want (laughs) it's like one of the most impossible things certainly when we're with our business model of like working with distribution, we we pride ourselves on ROI and, and being able to show where a thing's going to go. And if you spend this, you you plan to get this back. When it comes to sort of social campaigns and, and things that you're just going to put out there and, and hope are really cool, it is it is challenging. It's a it's a it requires a leap of faith to kind of um, to get it right. But yes, yeah, it's it's a good example, and there's no surprise we're still talking about it. Uh, and another one that I always still makes you laugh is the. Um, is the Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. splits with the Volvo. Again, just amazing. He's Van Damme's got this weird reputation over the last few years of being in some quite quirky, funny adverts, which he does for like the, the beer brand as well. This is good. I mean, it's like brilliant in terms of like, it, I can't imagine it was a tricky sell because they were getting the product benefit straight in there. It wasn't just Van Damme doing something random and they're trading off his his name and personality. The The concept is actually delivering this kind of smoothness of the uh, of the trucks. So I can imagine that was a, a real fun meeting when that was pitched and, and probably quite an easy sell, I imagine. But yeah, great fun, amazing content and and, and very well played. What does make a good ad then? Uh, I said for me, it's, it's, it's entertaining. Like I, there's a lot that go down the quite the earnest route and they kind of try and deliver like the goosebumps, which I think is quite, quite challenging. You then, you then almost forced into like a 60 second, which can be very expensive for brands. So you see the banks doing it and those that have probably got a war chest that can afford to go down the 60 route. But for me, entertainment, I always, again, always side with kind of the comedic side, which is obviously not right for every brand, but I do do look for that. Soundtrack, again, very challenging because it gets expensive when you get good music in. But in the world of of at least at least dual screening, let alone multi-screening, if you can get an amazing soundtrack that like pulls you back to the screen, and that's often how I behave if I'm like doing something else, but like the TV on, and it would just pull me in if you've got an amazing soundtrack. So um there'll be some of the bits but yeah uh, it's uh it's it's a challenging one but we uh we we've enjoyed what we've done for our clients so far definitely well paul thank you so much for your time today i think this has been a really insightful podcast we've covered a lot of ground thank you for letting me waffle for uh, for however long it's been yeah it's been good fun and i appreciate the invitation and uh yeah i'm really pleased with what you're doing with your podcast so keep it going fantastic and um, where, where can people find you and your work 
So uh, you can find us, uh, yeah, <laughs> any good store, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we are waxon.com is where you'll find us or, or have a Google. Uh, we're based uh, in pretty much in Soho, just near Tottenham Court Road. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're always open for a chat. But uh, yeah, cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Marketing Mashup podcast. For those of you that have made it to the end, send me a tweet at McKinvan. And I'm going to send you something special in the post as show my appreciation for you making it the whole way through the podcast. And if you really did enjoy it, make sure you leave it a review on iTunes. It really helps the podcast grow. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day.